Choose your player. Hello, my name is Dylan, and I've been obsessed with comic books since the age of about four or five. The one word that sums up my obsession is creativity and what lies between the gutters. about me is that even when I was teaching and I you know I was teaching English lit at like a level so you know more more kind of like AP I guess is what you'd call it here I I, I can I can pontificate till the cows come home about anything um, but uh, the, the problem I've always had and as a teacher it was a real problem was that I can't remember like quotes or as long as the text is in front of me I'm good I, I can talk about it till the cows come home, but you asked me to quote something from Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. We can Google specifics and data all I, we want. I googled, I googled a couple of things just to like get some dates because, you know, I, I turn 50 tomorrow, so my memory, <laughs> my, my memory is not what it was. But yeah, just to, just to like remember, um, remind myself rather of, of what was coming out and when. It's interesting. It's, it's really it's very much the, the mid to late 80s is is when it well, before you give too much away i'm just gonna dive into it welcome everyone to another episode of your nerdy obsession i am michael Oakenbach, and today we have a very dear friend of mine joining who is a scholar a man who i've seen drunk plenty of times but have never had a bad conversation with Dylan, my love. I've never had a bad conversation with you. Never. Don't give me that face. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of the few then. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you for doing this. Truly appreciate no, it. I'm, I'm very glad to be here and uh, have the opportunity to just piffle on about <laughs> my love for comic books yeah and you're in your little your little comic book nerd cave behind people can't see this because we're on a podcast but there's sweet tooth that i can pick out real nicely sweet right behind tooth you. and an original sketch oh that's so cool yeah. so, this <laughs> that's is, this awesome is my, my den of nerd <laughs> love it well like you said you are going to talk today about comics um i asked you a couple of your favorite authors we'll get into it as we go but what do what does that mean to you give everyone kind of a, a summary of what is your passion of comics what as, as we were talking earlier before we started recording i was a teacher back home in england teaching english lit um and i've always considered myself um <laughs> those, those who those who can do and those who can't teach i'm a, a bit of a, <laughs> bit, of a bit, of, bit of a failed writer um i did a creative I, I creative writing was my 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 major for one of a better term at uni is that what it's called over there i mean we can address the elephant in the room you're not from america <laughs> yeah, i am not from america born and raised in london england um but yeah, uh, what started it all and what it's about and why I am sitting in a room that is literally wall to wall, floor <laughs> to ceiling comic books is that um, as a young kid, as is often the case for my generation, Gen X, I was very much a latchkey kid. 
it was just me and my mum. And um, comic books were something that she felt would be a good escape for me. Um, and I honestly learned how to read, reading comic books. And some of my earliest memories are, are you know, comic books are central to them. We had a trip to Italy, my mum and I, we drove to the south of Italy in her little old beetle. I was five years old, maybe four and a half. And I can remember sitting in the back reading um, an Italian comic called Dylan Dog. I wonder why she chose that for me, <laughs> which, which is, is, is revered as an Italian classic now. I didn't know that at the time, obviously. But the, the segue and the combination of, of words and pictures, even though it was in Italian and at five, I certainly couldn't speak Italian. Um, <laughs> Could you understand a little bit of it? I, I, it I, I've looked back on this a lot and it, it really is, that's what, what pulled me in is that, that even though the language was alien to me, I can remember following those stories and kind of telling my mum about what happened in them because of the use of imagery and um, what us comic nerds refer to as gutters. That's the space between the panels. And that's where my, I guess that's where my love for comics really lies is in that space. There's no other medium that affords you that. You can read a novel and, you know, you, you have this, picture that is in your head and everyone says it was the movie wasn't like how I imagined it and so on with comic books nine times out of ten it's it's a collaboration a writer and um an artist it's interesting I I'm one of the few people that um my books are my books are, are arranged by the writer's last name and that's kind of how I have built my library when I used to run a comic shop I'd have people come in and they'd be like oh can you recommend something and I'd be like well what do you read Oh, I only read Marvel. Like what? You know, like that's like, <laughs> oh, I, to me, that's like, oh, I only watch NBC. Yeah. You know, or I only, I only, I only watch Universal Studio movies. Mm -hmm. So I was always about the right. Let's dive. I want to, I want to jump back just a second. So you said your, your Dylan dog was your, the first comic that your mom I don't did. know that it was, I don't know that it was the first. It's the first that I remember just because it was integral to this very um, memorable trip that we had. Um, for all kinds of reasons I won't go into. Um, but yeah. Um, what happens in Italy stays in Italy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, Tin Tintin and Asterix the Ghoul. Never um, heard of that one before. Yeah, Asterix is um, much like Tintin, Belgian. It's, a, it's literally about this guy, Asterix, who is like tiny and he's a ghoul and he's fighting off the Romans. So I remember that. I remember Tintin. Yeah, Dylan Dog. Um, but then there was always, there was a comic book shop that I ended up running, but that was, <laughs> you know, that, that was, uh, I never thought I'd be running the comic book shop that, that we'd drive past when I was like, five. you know, we're going to, we're going to get into that. I wrote that down in my notes already because I did not um, know that about you at all that you yeah, ran one. So um, anyways, Tintin, yeah, Asterix, Dylan then like Spider-Man, all, all the, all the Spider-Man, Captain Britain, um, which turns out, you know, was written by Alan Moore, who then went on to be, you know, he's he's considered the sort of the the don of of modern comic books and probably the man who single-handedly made them well, they they're still very much considered this by the majority, but they're not for kids, you know. It, yeah. This is this is this is something that's always been a um uh, a stigma attached to comic books is that they're they're a child's medium and so Alan, on. Alan Moore, for people who don't know, did the Watchmen, V for Vendetta. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah dark uh, dark dark oh, comics yeah. <laughs> um, he, uh, he's he's a very interesting man he's an occultist like well, yeah but yeah getting back to what we were starting with the passion rose from from that that escape and as i said earlier this this room is my escape pod i come down here and and i've read most of these books at least three times and i'm, I'm honestly surrounded by comic books down here hardcover collections is what i generally do now um and yeah it, it, it led to me really having a desire to immerse myself in storytelling and to try and do that um i got from university on essentially a creative writing scholarship for one about of a better word we don't we don't really do that in england we have, <laughs> we have free education but there you go <laughs> um, yeah I, I i essentially i essentially wangled my way into a good university off the back of my creative writing which was all very much inspired by the comic books that i was reading because at the time that i was really really into it sort of mid to late 80s and that's what got me here and got me to talk to you i guess what um, would you if you had to describe like your first one is dylan dog like that first one that just gripped you or would you say one of these other ones were in about how old what was that age tintin was my first love that was when i was like five six by the time i was about 10 i'd kind of fallen off comics i wasn't really um about it i was much more of a tv kid at that point um it was when i was at secondary school and i would have been about 12 or 13, a new comic book shop opened at the bottom of the road that I walked down to to get the bus home from school. And I just wandered in. And as I said, it was about 12, 13 for me. So that's what, 84, 85. And that, yeah, I'm old. And that was, that was the beginnings of a rekindling of, of my passion. And what that was about was that there was suddenly this, um, and again, we go back to him again, Alan Moore. Um, he had been writing stuff in England. Um, v for Vendetta was originally published in an English magazine called Warrior. Um, never got completed, and then DC picked it up and finished it after the success of Watchmen. Um, but yeah, he his stuff was just beginning to get published in the States and Swamp Thing. His, his take on Swamp Thing is to this day, you know, 30 odd years later, considered one of the greatest horror comics ever written. And it's dark as fuck. And it was the first DC comic to have a suggested for mature readers label on it. So that's when it really, so as a kid, Tintin, 100%. Um, and then the rekindling was the beginnings of what was called um, the British invasion, because DC were struggling to keep up with Marvel um, and the superhero comics and decided that there was this little magazine in England called Warrior, and this other little magazine in England called 2000 AD featuring Judge Dredd. They were going to take a risk and hire these English writers. Alan Moore being the first really, really opened it up to like a much more adult and um, challenging uh, take on comic books, which led to the Vertigo line, which was uh, Sandman. You know, that, that's the one that everyone knows. And yeah, so kind of a, a gap of about eight years or so, maybe seven years where I was much more of a TV kid, but yeah, it, it just reeled me back in yeah. when I was a teenager. Um, That's awesome. So some of the things you brought up were these, uh, how would I call them? Sections, eras of comic books. Like you're saying like the vertigo or yeah, the, how you said the, the other ones. So the change in attitude 
and comic books getting on the shelves in like bookshops and people who would never read comic books suddenly um, being interested in this sort of adult take, um, whether it was Watchmen, which was like a retro adult take on superheroes, or whether it was something like The Sandman, which was a purely um, fantasy horror book. Vertigo changed comics, like for, for the adult oriented stuff, 100%. I would argue that probably at least 50% of the books in my collection were published by Vertigo or were DC originally and then became a Vertigo book. So yeah, Vertigo is hugely important. Another uh, publisher that's also massively important now is Image Comics, 35 years old now. I think six Marvel artists that were like on their biggest books just said, we're out. And they formed their own company, which gave complete creative control and complete creative freedom to the artists, the, the writers and the artists. And they are now by far the preeminent um, creator-owned publisher. They really do go out of their way to publish stuff that a lot of companies just wouldn't even touch. So, so, so that, that Vertigo line and image really puts things in the hands of the creators again. And that's what fed my passion even more was that, like I said earlier, you know, people in my shop saying, oh, I only read Marvel. I only read shit that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care who publishes it. Yep. I don't care really what it's about. It's about the writing. And obviously there are people, like you mentioned, my sweet tooth up on the wall, Jeff Lemire, who we will talk about later, <laughs> is currently, I mean, the guy's killing it. And he's he writes, um, but he started off, Sweet Tooth is um, where he would be called a cartoonist. And that means you both write and draw. So he's an extremely talented Yeah, I, I know the time that you've put into collecting what you've collected in this room, right? Like, how do you put in the time like that effort to like reading through things like trying out new stuff well it, it's a lot easier now than it used to be um tell me the differences social media i have um uh, an instagram that is called comics trip c-o-m-i-x-t-r-i-p beautiful and, plug yeah you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> and um essentially that's just me i i really don't go into detail that often on there but that's just me following uh creators that i have historically enjoyed and inevitably that leads me down 3 a.m rabbit holes of i mean christ my wife is like what were you doing last night and i'm like oh i i, I found out about this this young kid that jeff lemire thinks is the next big thing in comic books and tried to find his work so yeah i go down these rabbit holes i'll generally do a little bit of research as you said like google is our friend it's a lot easier than it used to be. There used to be a magazine called the Comic, the Comics Journal. I'm sure they still exist, but probably on a, only on an online capacity. And they would do interviews with creators and, you know, um, long, I mean, like really in-depth uh, analyses of certain books. And that would afford me the, the, the knowledge and the, the exposure to new people um, that I thought would be interesting. But yeah, it's really now about just Twitter and Instagram um, and, you know, the guy in the comic shop, the, the guy that's like, oh, Dylan, you, you really like Pete Milligan or you really like 
Alan Moore, you're probably like this. This is a new creator. You know, I'm always, I'm always got my ear out. And, you know, it, it's, it keeps me young and, and, and it feeds my brain, you know. Um, yeah. It keeps your, it keeps your imagination going, keeps the story being told. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big kid. And I, I think I've historically, it's been my escape, you know, as, as a latchkey kid growing up and mum was often working and I would be at home. Um, young was kids, then television. And then in my sort of early teens, I rediscovered this crazy world of comic books that was nothing like I remembered it because they were talking you know, to you uh, as you are versus as you were as a kid, right? Like that was, that's a huge thing oh, that happened when you re gosh, yeah. found them, right? Yeah. Gosh, yeah. When I, when I refound them, it was like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, like literally it was in the story. They said, fuck. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I don't, I don't words were being used. And, and especially that, that honestly, I'm sitting here looking at it on my shelf now. The 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 swamp thing that that um uh Alan Moore did. Um and off the back of that success, uh he pitched Watchmen. And that single-handedly, honestly, that and Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. We have to mention Frank Miller, um, a, a complete genius of a creator who unfortunately has turned into an absolute xenophobic asshole. But we all we'll, we'll have our foibles. Um, those, those two books in, gosh, when was Watchmen? I'm thinking it must have been like 87-ish. Um, and The Dark Knight, they, they both changed the, the nature of comic books. It's interesting to reflect, though, that they were both very much superhero comics. You know, a lot of what I read, certainly Sweet Tooth. You've seen the Netflix show at the very least. That's not a superhero comic in any way, shape or form. It's, it's a beautiful study of what it is to be human, what it is to be a child, what it is to be an orphan. You know, it, it's the, the series, the Netflix series, does bring down the horror element. There's a much more horrific element in, in the comic book at times. And by horror, I mean that kind of the horror that comes from the fear of, of, of like horror, like horror thriller. Yeah. Not, not like gore horror. Okay. Like, it, 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 Jeff Lemire, he, he has this innate understanding of, of like the innocence of childhood and, and how easily lost it is. And that, that is where uh, he writes a lot of horror books and they always seem to come back to that kind of loss of innocence. Mm. And, um, you know, I think that's what gravitates to me being a big kid, um, you know, and having, having teenage kids that, that my daughters is interesting. I, I used to feed them both comics um, as they were growing up and uh, always thought that they'd not be interested in later life, but my daughter's huge is comic she? book. Uh... I like that. Well, I want to, I want to jump into, because you've mentioned it a bunch of times. So you gave me, I asked you to give me four. I know you have a, a bazillion, but, <laughs> and, and you can mention obviously more, but what I want, um, these four that you gave me and I did some research obviously and found what they wrote. So I'm going to read them off. Um, and I'll, then I'll, then I'll ask some questions. So you gave me Grant Morrison, who it, Batman, Doom Patrol, Super Gods, The Invisibles, Alan Moore, Watchmen, V for Vendetta, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Jeff Lemire, Sweet Tooth, Gideon Falls, Black Hammer, Neil Gaiman, who is also one of my favorite people, which we'll get into, <laughs> Sand Sandman, uh, Eternals, Batman, and then 1602. What made you kind of choose these four? And each one you can point them out differently, but I want to know, I wanna know oh, why oh, these four. Oh. 
I'll go through them. Um, and and I, I think I've touched quite heavily on Alan Moore already. He changed the game. There, there's absolutely no denying it. Um, he's a very strange and very interesting and very intense man. And I feel that he um, saw comic books as a media, a medium, I guess, that had so much untapped potential to really talk about important things. But he, he was also very much at a time where comics were superheroes. That was pretty much it. Um, and he understood that you can really play with that. And you can really, I mean, they're, 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 they're tropes. These, these characters are, are literally tropes. And, and, if, and Watchmen is a prime example. To give, to give context, mm-hmm. when Watchmen comes out, how popular was like Batman, Superman? How popular were some of those? Like, how deep were we into this like superhero com? Like, that's what comics. Not that to. deep, honestly. Still very much considered a kid's medium still very much considered a fringe medium. Certainly not. I mean, I, I'm old enough that I can remember Superman the movie coming out and people were like, a film about a superhero? Like, and what, what's, what's interesting about that is that the screenplay for that movie was written by Mario Puzo, who wrote The Godfather. So that, in terms of the filmic aspect in relation to comic books, where we are now with Marvel's cinematic universe just changing everything, looking back, that Superman movie was probably the first time anyone kind of took it seriously. Like, let's get the guy that wrote the fucking Godfather to write the screenplay for this movie, you know? Um, but yeah, Alan Moore came in and just kind of saw an opportunity to, to write about dark and, and challenging themes within a genre fiction, which comic books very much were then. Um, Swamp Thing, Change the Game, Horror, Horror, dark he took what was very much a c-list character because dc weren't going to take such a huge risk as giving this you know this limey a, a, a huge title so they gave him this c-list book and um he changed it to a very much a horror and uh environmentally um the environmental aspect because swamp thing is the the lord of the green which is like nature he, so oh yeah um he he, he took that that as an opportunity to really talk about ecological and environmental matters, which was something that you wouldn't normally see in a comic book, you know? Yeah. Um, Not to mention a horror probably genre at the time either. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And as I said, Swamp Thing was the first book to have a suggested for mature readers tag. And that led to DC creating the vertigo line and the vertigo line was the second push um, after Alan Moore's success with Watchmen and V for Vendetta of, of this British invasion of writers. And that's bringing me on to my next guy who have probably got more comic written by than anyone else. And that's Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison took what Alan Moore did and just ran with it and took it to the absolute apex and the logical conclusion. Um, he is mad genius this is just like and he again you mentioned super gods as, as yeah. one of the books that's actually um not a comic but oh. I, would, I, I would highly recommend that anyone interested read it it's his dissertation and his analysis of why these characters resonate so much 
And essentially, he looks at them from a standpoint of they are the modern day, the contemporary myth. They are the, they are the gods. Superman is Zeus, you know, or, you know, and Wonder Woman is. Well, um, I hate to say to draw the parallel to the Eternals, but it's kind of what you're saying. Jack Kirby like, knew. Jack yeah. Kirby, <laughs> King, King Kirby is is um, immensely important, and and he. It's interesting. I've I've recently been rereading some of his stuff because he was before my time, for want of a better term. But yeah, he 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 got what Alan Moore got. He understood that you could do these things, and he just wasn't able to do them in such a overtly adult way. So so there's a lot of subtext in his comic books, which is quite brilliant. But yeah, Grant Morrison, Super Gods is a study of why they are what they are. Um, the Invisibles is the most mental, like mind I, I that one would actually intrigue me like to oh, like read and, and yeah, yeah get into um, so that's that's his that's his biggest creator owned book um it ran for like that's six years i want to say so individual issues being published every month um that's how comic books you know come out and then you you get these massive collections um but yeah, he, he's, he's this guy that just has an innate understanding of the nature of storytelling. He talks often about something I mentioned earlier about the gutters and what happens between the pages. Alan Moore knows very well, too. There's an issue of a chapter, or another better word, of Watchmen called Fearful Symmetry. And the 24-page book is literally symmetrical. You open it to the middle, to like pages 12 and 13, it's a mirror image. And then the, the pages from that out either side, the way the panels are displayed is, is completely symmetrical. And the reason it's called Fearful Symmetry is it's about Rorschach. And his oh, okay. See, I love, I love that. And it, it, tell me if this was, if Alan Morthen was the first, but I love that not only playing with the panel as a, a visual medium, but the whole piece and I feel like comics, but also I, I guess I see it more in graphic novels in terms of that. Like they play with how you're reading it Absolutely. to really mess with it too. I think Absolutely. Um, and, and the real masters of it have, a, have an understanding that as much happens between the panels as what you see. And that, that, that going back to like my sort of childhood understanding and learning to read with comics was that what, that's what opened up my imagination and, my, and, and really... You can't do it in any other art form. You, you can't suggest 90% and then leave 10% to the, you know, there's nothing that does it like that. And honestly, I think most of the comics that I, I really enjoy, it's a really good synergy between writer and artist that have worked together a lot, or it's a cartoonist, somebody who writes and draws, and they have then the ability to really mess with the pages. Um, comic book panels, comic book pages, it, you, you read the panels top to bottom, le left to right, right? That's how you read it. And within the panel, you read... Top to bottom, left to right. Right. Grant Morrison in uh, Multiversity, he kind of did a homage to Watchmen. And he created a page. I wish this was visual. Um, he, he, he created a page where you start off, I think it's four by four, so 16 panels. And... Um, you start off top left, and then it goes across, and then it goes down, and then it goes that way, like 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 um, a helix. And he, he, the the dialogue on the page is talking about the movement 
the the characters oh, are so meta. Grant <laughs> oh, yeah. Morrison is the most meta ever. So his, if you've watched the HBO show Doom Patrol, all of the crazy shit in that is Grant Morrison's um, canon. So you, you meant, sorry, is that kind of what? you mean by his canon or what he's going for when you said at the beginning how he took what Alan Moore did and ran with it. Yes. Absolutely. He just he just was like, oh, this is this is this is where you can go with it. Let me take yeah. it even 10 times further. OK, yeah. cool. And, and he also the thing that he did more than anyone and probably the reason I love him so much, because like all of my favorite writers play like novelists play with form. Um, I, I love James Joyce. I love Faulkner, um, you know, People that, that Beckett, people that messed with the way the word appears on the page and um, using language to punctuation or lack thereof. You know, so these are the tools that a novelist has. The tools that a comic book writer has have visual elements too. Um, so it's not just dialogue, it's visual. And you can, you can get really meta with what it is about how you're telling a story. And Grant Morrison does that better than anyone else. Um, his Doom Patrol. If you haven't watched the HBO, I really suggest you because I never knew anything about Doom Patrol. I saw you post about it, say that it's excellent because I take your recommendations to heart when it comes to stuff like this. And I, not only is the show like well acted, well written, it is one of the most mentally fucked up trips that you have to take yeah, to like well, fully understand what is yeah. happening in that world. But it's Ron, so good. Ron Morrison is um, an interesting fellow. He's he's a practicing magician. Oh, cool. Um, and by that, by that, I don't mean like pick a card. I mean like oh, like a like a wizard. Yeah, like yes. magic. Um, Invisibles was was um, due to be cancelled. It wasn't selling very well. And he said, "We're going to take. We're not cancelling it. We're going to take a two or three month break." This is in the letters page of like issue twelve. So the first story had been told, and he's like, "What I want you all to do is create." A, a quiet space at home and I want you all to masturbate <laughs> while, while, while saying I can't remember what the phrase was and he, he swears to this day that, that that's what saved the invisibles from cancellation that, <laughs> that, that moment yeah, yeah. But, so, so to give you a good understanding of why I love him and what he does with the meta but like Crazy Jane, a, a character that has multiple personalities for some very dark reasons. And um, each of her multiple personalities has a um, superpower. I mean, like, that's just brilliant. Um, his first book, when, when he got his chance to write American comics, was Animal Man. Again, much like more with Swamp Thing, a C-lister. No one cared about Animal Man. He wrote a four-issue miniseries, and after the four issues, it was so successful that they asked him to continue. Ended up being a 26-issue story. Issue five, which is the first one after his miniseries, is quite simply one of the most meta things I've ever read. So uh, Wiley Coyote from, from Roadrunner. In issue five of Animal Man, um, it's called the Gospel, the, Co the Coyote Gospel, and it's essentially Wiley, they, they, it doesn't have that name, but it clearly, and he keeps dying and he keeps coming back just like he does in the cartoons. And he then about halfway into the issue is like, why are you doing this to me? Who are you? 
Where, who, who, who is my God? Like, what, what have I done to deserve this? And spoilers, you see like, you see like a pen drawing him. So you're aware that it's like out, outside of it. Nothing ever mentioned again. Like that issue's done, dusted, and then the story starts in Animal Man. And Animal Man is just doing his superhero shit, blah, blah, blah. He's got a wife and two kids. Weird shit starts happening. Like he keeps seeing things. And then like their cat goes missing. And, and then there's like pages of the calendar in their kitchen. Are, like There's like dates circled and like weird shit like that. And all this stuff keeps happening. And then his son or daughter dies. And, you know, and it gets to the point where he's like, why is this happening to me? The final issue, he meets Grant Morrison, the writer. That's so and, and, awesome. Yeah, I mean, and it's, and it's just brilliant. Animal Man's like, why, why did you do all these horrible things to me and to my family? And Grant Morrison was like, it's sold. That's wonderful. Oh, and wow. He said, it's sold. And my cat died when I started writing this book. And this was, my, this was how I... I Grieved. Yeah, yeah. So Grant Morrison, wow. I'm going to pull something off my shelf here because another reason I love Grant Morrison, um, All-Star Superman. So DC did these All-Star books that were like the ultimate, this, the, the big name creators and it's, it's uh, Grant Morrison and his um, favorite artist, Frank Quietly, to work with. And I was never really a big superhero fan. And there's actually a graphic novel called... Um, it's a bird that is written by a guy who was writing Superman. And it's like, how the fuck do you write Superman? He's God. Like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so Grant Morrison took that and ran with it. And I was never really into Superman, but if I can find it. So this is Grant Morrison doing his ultimate Superman story. Basically, okay. Superman, Superman in a nutshell in 12 chapters. Okay. And he deals with the entire uh continuity within those 12 issues f you know 50 years plus of continuity but the opening page is four panels and this is probably the best intro to a to a comic book and this is why i love comics so much we all know superman we don't need mm -hmm. the we don't need the backstory yeah. opening page doomed planet desperate scientist last hope kindly couple and then you open to <laughs> him just flying. That's it. And, and that's that, and honestly, isn't that all you need to know? That that's that's literally, and that's in itself quite meta. And again, mm -hmm. he's he's acknowledging the history of comic books, and you know who Superman is. Yeah, he, exactly. Right? Yeah, he, you know, he doesn't need to tell you who Superman is. Mm -hmm. he's, he's he's God. Yeah, you know he's a super god. So yeah, Grant Morrison. Um, Brilliant. And then the next man who uh, you love and I love and have met on several occasions and is just, as you said, a lovely human being is Neil Gaiman. Again, a Brit. And he is Gaiman, not Gaiman, to all my American friends. Um, and, um, <laughs> a lot of people might know Neil Gaiman more for novels, right? Because like yes. Ameri American Gods Amer is American where I'm God. very familiar. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So the deal with Neil Gaiman, he was a journalist and he, he met Alan Moore back in the 80s and was like, how do I write comic books? And they became fast friends, and um, Gaiman being the talented fucker that he is, just out of nowhere, uh, pitched um, a book called, an idea he had called The Sandman, 
to DC. Um, and he had this whole, have you read the Sandman? You know I listened to it on audible and I cannot recommend it is amazing. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know anything about it. And I put it on and I could not stop listening to it like at all. It is brilliant. So the weird thing about Sandman and what is somewhat problematic for it for new readers is that he pitched this idea, the Sandman about the King of dreams, Morpheus and his extended family, the endless, um, all of whom there's seven of them, all of whom start with a D. So there's dream, death, delirium, desire, and so on and so forth. I don't want to give too many spoilers away. He, he pitched this idea um, to DC and they were like, well, we already have a character called the Sandman. Um, so you, you can publish it with us, but we're going to have part ownership of it. Right? So the story is not, not after the first book where Batman is involved, John Constantine is involved. Um, he had to like shoo those characters in to his long, long story in order to get it to sell. Basically. That kind of makes sense. Cause especially while listening to it, the John Constantine bit is a perfect example. Right. Cause he kind of just appears in the story at a right. bar. And I'm like, who's this guy that. But what, what Sandman is really about. And they get, they get to that once all the DC necessary stuff is out of the way. It's about dreams and stories. Um, he's, he's the master of dreams and, and the master of stories. And um, the best part about it as an English literature nerd as well is that, um, and I was talking about this with my sister last night, she, didn't, she wasn't aware that of all of Shakespeare's um, plays, only two, two, are what would be deemed an original story. Everything else is a retelling of something that had already been published or um, based in an old myth or um, you know, a, folk, a folklore tale. Or history. What, were, what are the two? I didn't know well, that information either. <laughs> here's the thing. Issue, I think it's nine, of The Sandman is called a Midsummer Night's Dream. Well, earlier, earlier um, the Sandman had met this young aspiring writer in a pub and he said, he says something to him. He whispers something into his ear and what essentially, this is not really a spoiler. He says, I'll make you immortal if you create me two plays. One is A Midsummer Night's Dream, which is all about dream and all about story. And the second, which I think is Shakespeare's greatest work, is The Tempest. And The Tempest is the penultimate, um, like the final kind of nail in the coffin of the Sandman comic book series. It's literally, the, the, it's like a double-sized issue. It's like 50 pages long and it's just called The Tempest. And it, so, so meta again. Yeah. Gaiman, Gaiman, Gaiman again, really understanding that comics have um, a lineage to storytelling. And that, that's really what they're all about is, is how to tell a story in a different and, um, you know, visually challenging way. But it's all going back to um, what he's really become now. I'm firmly of the opinion that Neil Gaiman is going to be like Dickens in 100 years time. Oh, like, 100%. Yeah. You know, what, um, 
the the graveyard book is the most challenging and most real and heartfelt children's story i think in my lifetime and it starts off with everyone being murdered like <laughs> and and people like it won it won the newbury and people mm-hmm. like, how can you be there? The, the child's family are slaughtered in the opening pages. He's like, yeah, that happens. <laughs> Welcome to the world. Right. And children need to know this stuff. So he's mm-hmm. gone on to be, he's gone on to be like a master, master writer. He, he's probably the most, I mean, the Sandman is, is without question the most like literary comic book in, in, in the strict sense of the word. Um, but yeah, he's he's also done some really cool. Um, I don't not really f- that fond of of um, his superhero work, um, but it's not really what he's about. He's a fantasist outside of a genre um, that is that is superheroes. Um, brilliant guy, lovely, has such a good worldview, and again, the the fact that it was a comic book series that that uh put him out there mm-hmm. yeah you know, put, is is i bought american gods at the airport the day i was moving to the states 20 odd years ago wow. i didn't even know, i didn't even know it'd come out um but yeah so i i i have a lot of love for neil gaiman and a lot of love for what he did the sandman was when it was collected and on the shelves at barnes and noble it really changed. Again, it was like the next chapter down after Watchmen in that it made reading comic books accessible. One thing it's really did is make women read comics. Like when I was a kid and when I had to shop, it's like you never saw a woman in there. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a male-oriented and male-dominated industry. It still is, unfortunately, in terms of writers that work within the industry. There are some incredible female writers that just kind of get pushed aside and, and forgotten about. But yeah, the Sandman, in terms of opening up comic books to everyone, and I mean that in the broadest sense, mm-hmm. um, is is hugely important. Um, I I urge anyone to read it, and I urge anyone that does read it to to just forgive Neil Gaiman for learning as he goes and and for having to deal with having to shoehorn the batman and you know i mean everyone has to start somewhere and grow right like he obviously he he found what he loved and now he's being able to make his life off of it right like he's able to do what he wants but in order to get there he had to do some stuff that didn't fit him yeah and yeah. didn't fit him, like you said. Like you said, you aren't a fan of them, probably because he it just wasn't him, right? He right. was phoning and, and, in something. Yeah. And it's much the same as um, Alan Moore. Uh, mm-hmm. Alan Moore, uh, if you've watched any of the films based on his comics, Watchmen, V for Vendetta, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and From Hell, interestingly enough, the Jack the Ripper movie, um, his name's not on them anywhere. Mm-hmm. And he wants it that way because he's like, you kind of took what I did and stole it. And my, my, my comeback to that is you got in bed with the devil, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, 
Gaiman, Gaiman's, Gaiman was really smart. He, he signed a deal with DC that he has um, huge royalties off the of Sandman, despite it being strictly their property, because he, he used the name they already had. Um, well, and then also mostly with, with Gaiman too, which is different maybe than Alan, but you can correct me, of course, is that he, on everything that, like Sandman, the TV show that's coming out, American Gods that came out, like he done, is on everything. Like, he's done the opposite way. Yeah. Um, and has creative control and creative final say. And that is the way to go. And that, oh, yeah. that leads very nicely into the... My Beautiful. Next, Go for it. <laughs> my next uh, creator whom I'm um, enamored with is uh, Jeff Lemire, um, who up until very recently I thought was Jeff Lemire, but he's Canadian, so it's Lemire. Oh. Um, he burst onto the scene with Sweet Tooth, but there's more to him behind that. Um, really... And it, there are filmmakers who are like indie filmmakers and then suddenly they become Christopher Nolan would be a good example. Memento is very much an indie film, his first film, right? Well, following strictly his first film, but he was very much an indie filmmaker. And now I feel like he's an indie filmmaker that has a $500 million budget. Jeff Lemire is a similar deal. So Jeff Lemire um, self-published, um, a book called Ashtray, which was just this weird black and white, very dark, like this drawing here, you see it's just like, um, self-published that. Then he self-published another book called Lost Dogs. He was working nights in a restaurant and then like doing his comics during the day. Um, very much an indie guy. And um, someone at DC was like, we like this. You want to you pitch us? We're doing, this, um, we're doing this line of original graphic novels. We'd like you to create an original 112-page uh, graphic novel that will be published, you know, straight as. So he did this thing called The Nobody, which is essentially a retelling of The Invisible Man that he wrote and drew. And it was like a minimal indie success. I mean, it had the Vertigo label on it, so I'm sure it sold more. I read recently in his blog, um, it was the first time he was able to quit his day job. But yeah, so, so off the back of nobody, they said to him, you want to do like a long format, like a, a big series? And that's where Sweet Tooth came, which he both wrote and drew. And um, really, this is like, what, 2005-ish, I think it launched, about six, seven maybe. And it's really like he was the... the the first of the next wave of these like vertigo creators, Brian K. Vaughan, who I really very, very much wanted to include in my thought. He made Saga. Saga seems to have um, somehow seeped out into the real world and people know about Saga like they did about Sandman when it was being published as a comic. But him and, him and Jeff Lemire, Brian K. Vaughan and, and Jeff Lemire were like the next wave. Um, but yeah, Sweet Tooth is just the most. I, I'm not going to lie, it, it makes me cry whenever I read it. It's just beautiful, as does pretty much everything Jeff Lemire writes. Um, but he, he then, off the success of uh, Sweet Tooth, which is creator-owned, he has full ownership of it, um, he then did a lot of uh, just writing, so not cartooning, not writing, 
he did a lot of DC um, cre- company-owned characters. So same he, thing, kind of what Neil Neil did. Yes, had to do. Yeah. Okay, cool. He he actually Jeff Lemire became like kind of the talisman of DC's um, relaunch of a lot of characters. He, funnily enough, it's quite obvious that Lemire idolizes the man. Lemire's um, one of his first DC books was a reboot of Animal Man, so following in Grant Morrison's footsteps. And he, he kind of he kind of dealt like how do you deal with Grant Morrison walking off a book saying it's just a comic and I created it so I could kill the comic book character and you know how do you then continue to tell that story? Um, but Lemire, Lemire really nailed it and it's probably as as good a run um, as as Grant Morrison's and it's interesting because he he runs the gamut of these really kind of blockbuster movie type. Uh, comics where he does like Animal Man, Moon Knight, the yeah. new Knight show that's coming, mm-hmm. that's going to be heavily influenced by Jeff Lemire's run on that book. Like he, he's probably pretty much. So is Jeff, so you're, Jeff, you talked about how he has that same, the Grant, the Grant Morrison thing. Is it still also similar with then Alan Moore where he was a little bit darker and everything? Cause, or is yeah. it a little, little bit different? It's different now though, because it's not a big deal anymore like like people aren't aren't surprised that comics can do that anymore um i think what he's brought to the game is um i mean the art for his art style is is not very um it's surprising how successful it has been you'd look at it and you think that's not commercially viable um but it's just so heartfelt and you know the fact that he writes ad draws so it's all it's all him and then and then the stuff he does where he's just writing, the best thing he's doing at the moment is again, um, creator owned. It's called Black Hammer. Um, and that's recently been op- optioned by, I think, by HBO. And Black Hammer, he's created this team of superheroes. Um, but the premise is that they, they're on this farm and they can't leave it and they don't know why they're there. And as it progresses, it slowly becomes um, known that there was this big event, much like in Marvel comics, like Endgame. There was Mm -hmm. this big event, someone snapped their fingers, for want of a better word or phrase. And in order to save the world, Black Hammer had to, the the character Black Hammer made a sacrifice and they are now stuck on this farm. So it's like he's, he's boiled down superheroes to just very ordinary people that are living on this farm but they had this, these great adventures that they don't really remember. Um, and slowly it comes back. So it's again, much mm. like of what I love, very meta and very much about how do we normalize these super gods? Because it, 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 I never really understood, like, you know, people that just read the X-Men or just read Superman or whatever. I'm like, there's only so much you can do. There is a finite, most of, most of the books on my shelf are finite. They don't just go on and on and on and on and on by different writers and different artists. It's maybe somebody did a run on a DC book, like Animal Man, Grand Marathon, 26 issues. I have all of, you know. Um, so yeah, it's, it's um, there's, a li- there's a lineage now. There's a yeah, lineage. Yeah, I think yeah. that's so interesting what you, what you just said. Um, on your shelves, you have movies versus sitcoms, right? That's kind of what it is. Like <laughs> it, it, to put it into a, a very like uh, yeah. binary type of way. Yeah. But 
Yeah, I also have, I also have, you know, the, the, the people that create those movies also create sitcoms. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll probably have the sitcoms too, but it's not my You'll game. have those seasons. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The season, yeah. the seasons of, you know, if, if, if let's imagine it was, it was a, a show, you know, if, if uh, Grant Morrison wrote two seasons of Scrubs, yes, <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd probably, I'd probably have those two seasons and nothing yep. else. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, but what I, what I wanted to dive into is the story aspect. What you said mm-hmm. is it, it, that it's not like how the X-Men, like you said, there's just, it can keep going. There's not like a, a depth up to it or anything of that nature. Yeah. And you look at where we've come with comics or even the movies, right? That yeah. we see mm-hmm. now with that, like, well, not only the, the the MCU, but also even the DC HBO TV shows, like the depth of that story to like show that these superheroes are human. Yeah. That's the route that we are taking, which I, you're telling, my, like all these people I, are loving. My argument is this. Comic books still very much a fringe genre, medium. Mm-hmm. So there are writers out there. Neil Gaiman is a perfect example that see comic books as a way in. Grant Morrison could have gone on to be a novelist, could have gone on. He's now a screenwriter as well, but, but he sees comics as like his, his baby. That's like what yeah. he wants. But like... Mm. This is, this is where I have argued this since the Marvel movies started coming out and Dark Knight. It's a fringe medium, so the writers can do things that they wouldn't get away with in a, in a writing room for a TV show or for a movie or whatever. So they do those things, and they did those things 30 years ago. And now people are going, fuck, this, have, you, have you read this Doom Patrol shit by Grant Morrison? Can, can we make that a show? Peacemaker. Peacemaker. Ever, oh, uh, yes. Yeah. I haven't watched it yet, but yeah, it's... So, so dark and so emotive. And, and it's like, who would have thought that you could, you could deal with these like, very human um, emotions and these very important stories and these very important and um, relevant uh, social commentaries in a stupid superhero film right but but that was happening in comic books 30 years ago and i think that's really where we're at with specifically with tv now oh the, yeah the, the, the doom patrol series there's a really great show on cw called stargirl it's, i mean it's aimed at like a teen a teen audience but it's what's well, the same vein as like green arrow and and yeah. all of that cw group right? CW yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but like yeah, yeah. suicide squad Mm-hmm. You know, the first one was a terrible one with Will Smith, but the one with um, like John Cena and, yeah. you know, like... The, the Suicide Squad, right? That's the I, second I, one. The, the first one, I think, is just Suicide Squad. The I second one's right. the, the Suicide Squad. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I'm, I think that's another reason, going all the way back to the beginnings of this, and, I, you know, I probably you know, there's no way of knowing this when I was a kid reading comics. The stuff that is being done and was being done and continues to be done, fortunately, in comic books that writers can experiment with has trickled down. And, you know, the Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe owes so much to all of those people that did it 30 and 40 and 50 years ago. You know, um, 
I saw the trailer for the new Doctor Strange, and it literally pops off the screen like the Steve Ditko art from like Steve Ditko created Doctor Strange. He was so there was there was there was King Kirby, Jack Kirby, there was Stanley, and then Steve Ditko, um, Spider Man. He was the artist on on Spider Man and Doctor Strange. V- fucking much like Jack Kirby, took a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of drugs, and uh, did this very psychedelic kind of pops off the page artwork and that's what sam raimi's clearly clearly (laughs) if it's psychedelic yeah it's so nuts yeah it looks really cool and i really think that that's that's what excites me about comic books is that it's a trickle down and so i feel i feel like i got to see it first yeah you're just like oh i know what's going to happen in this or like when people when people were like blowing their minds out about how good the uh HBO Watchmen show was. Yeah, I was like, they just took what Moore, what Alan Moore did, and and logical conclusion. This, this source material, this room of source material that I'm sitting in, is finally being seen. And you have shows like Doom Patrol, where you have really very dark and very um, thought provoking approach to what is essentially really stupid. You know, you got a guy walking around in a robot. I was just going to say, like, you break it down. It's like you got a guy in a robot. You got an invisible guy or an energy wrapped an in. An energy guy. You got, you got a woman. You got a woman. Who's like, right. But, but with that, and and in no way is it not something we should, you know, we should, we should definitely give credit to Grant Morrison because he was the one that saw that as possibilities in these really, really shitty characters that nobody cared about the only one that he created interestingly enough for doom patrol when he was writing it was it was crazy jane really and all of the others are old school dc owned characters um and crazy jane he wrote he Grant morrison read a book called the troops for trudy chase something rabbit when rabbit howls when Rabbit Howls by the Troops for Trudy Chase. And it is an actual account written by a woman who had something along the lines of 37 different personalities. So I read the book because of Grant Morrison mentioning it, and it blew my mind. But like the fact that he took something like that, so disturbing and so tragic and, you know, 37 distinct personalities, how fucking crazy is that? And awful. And he took that and he's like, all right, superhero. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, he uh, he just he, he's open. I feel like most of the comic book writers that I really adore have opened doors for TV um, and for movies to to begin to use this genre and this. I'm really intrigued to see what the Sandman's like. I am too, because. It could be a fucking train wreck, honestly. If they don't, if they don't get it, if they don't get it tonally right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, perfect example would be the difference between Suicide Squad, the movie, and the Suicide Squad. Yeah, James James Gunn. Nailed yeah, it. this goes into this actually goes into my my next question. I want to know two things. I want to know. What are the things that turn you off of certain comics or stories? And then the second kind of question is is there anything either that happens on a regular basis in all comics or like things that happen that you just don't like about the comic 
pantheon. What turns me off about comics is when novelists, when when failed novelists try to write comic books. Neil Gaiman's somewhat guilty of this, certainly in the beginnings of his of his uh, writing. Okay, I, I'll, I'll explain it by telling you what I love. What I love is is the likes of Grant Morrison and the likes of um, Lemire. What they what they do is they understand that it is words and pictures and the absence of in the gutters. So it's not a novel. When I when I when somebody recommends something to me by a new writer, and I take the chance of spending what the four bucks on that comic, and I get home and I open it, and every panel has a dialogue box that's like, you know, I'm not interested because it it's no longer in my mind it's no longer a real understanding of the medium you are you are just shoehorning words and pictures together rather than the symbiosis of the two um so i i, I do shy away from um seeing people that write like that i i you, you know, put it in a beautiful way but it's almost like anyone can write a picture book comics are a different entity they're not they're not yeah. picture books yeah, yeah. yeah they're not picture books um i have an entire shelf down here that is picture books um with with having my kids um i i and working in barnes and noble for a while i i got really into picture books um so again another medium that i love but it's a different it's a very different uh practice you know there's a guy called john j muth who started off in comics and now does these picture books that i adore but he still does comics and he understands the difference and there are people neil gaiman finally got it together and he now you know he, he writes he writes comics in a very different way to his writing um, novels. And I, I, I do feel that uh, as an aspiring writer, he probably benefited greatly from working in comics in that every month he had to produce a 24-page script and keep people interested. So you have to fucking hone, hone yeah. your skill. Right. Yeah. But but what happens now is and it is it is a trend, and and kind of segueing into your second question, a trend now is that often comic book publishers will seek out authors, writers, novelists to come on and do um, a comic book series. Um, now they're not they're not trained. They, they, they don't you know I mean some of them Joe Hill who wrote lock and key oh yeah okay yeah. so lock and key, this, this is pretty cool lock and key was a comic comic book series and um he, he created it horror a horror comic much darker than the tv show and he's stephen king's son oh that's yeah. interesting cool and he broke he, he put out a book of short stories and then he did lock and key and lock and key won the eisner award which is like the oscars for comics and people were like, who's this Joe Hill kid? <laughs> Stephen King's son. And I, I, I think he's a better writer than his dad. And the reason I think he's a better writer than his dad is because he honed his craft writing comic books. I mean, maybe it just works better for me. It just vibes better with me. But yeah, to get back to your second point of your question was like, what I don't like is I don't like that. I don't like that, that they're bringing in writers. I get it. 
comic book writers work in TV and film and not, you know, Gaiman's now a very esteemed novelist. I get it, but like, I feel like it's all too, somewhere along the line, the editorial staff at DC or Marvel, whoever, they hire these novelists should be like, you need to lose like half the words, buddy, you know? Novelists, going, going back to Superman. Mario Puzo wrote The Godfather. Mario Puzo wrote the Superman movie. I guarantee you, Mario Puzo loved Superman comics growing up and, and understood what he was dealing with. I don't necessarily think that, oh God, what's his name? J. Michael Straczynski is a, is a fantasy novelist. And his comics are just terrible. Just like, oh my God. But then recently, um, uh, N.K. Jemison, she, she won, she was the first black woman to win three, three Hugo Awards for, for, for sci-fi. She wrote, she wrote a trilogy, the name of which escapes me. Um, Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance writes comic books, and he also, he wrote Doom Patrol after Grant Morrison did. Um, but he also curated a line for DC, was given the responsibility of bringing in new writers. And but, but these people that you're talking about, they're the ones that are following the comic structure still, right? Like that's what's making yeah, them successful exactly, in your mind. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. N.K. Mm -hmm. Jemison, the, the woman that won the, uh, the Hugo, she did a, a Green Lantern story. And it was fucking great. I tell you who wrote great comics, and it's such a shame that he's such a toxic asshole now. Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon did a run on X-Men, which is probably, yeah, it's my favorite X-Men run. Yeah, there's only 12 issues. But yeah, I mean, he, he, if you're a novelist and then you write a screenplay, you don't, you don't write a screenplay like you write a novel. 100%, yeah. You know, you don't. Yeah. You have to understand the form and the function of, of the medium that you're working in. And I think that that really is the thing that pisses me off the most at the moment is that there's this real, I feel like they, they think it's a sure sales, you know, like this is, this is going to be big because, because the, the kids and people that go to Barnes and Noble and Waterstones in England and whatever, and they just peruse the graphic novel section once in a while, they'll say, they'll see, an, you know, this by whomever fancy yeah. novel and, and they'll buy it. And yeah. It makes sense. It's like putting uh, movie stars in Broadway shows. Like it's what, it's what sells, right? Like it, 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 I get it. And that might be kind of what you said, what Neil did. It opens that door, but yeah. And I think your, your point of like movie stars in Broadway plays, I know that, you know, you, you could have objections to that, but I'm sure you're less objecting if that movie star like someone like Tom Hiddleston, right? I got no problem with him being on RSC stage because that's mm -hmm. where he fucking started. Yep. Right. But you know, Brad Denzel, Denzel Washington, same idea, right? He's right. he's classically trained like that. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I'm not even being like snobbish about it in terms of classically trained. Mm. But you come from a theater background and then become a movie star. Yes. And then go back to theater. Good for you. Mm -hmm. You're just like the face. You know. Do, do I want to see? Uh, maybe I do. Do I do I want to see Ryan Reynolds on Broadway? Probably not. I mean, depending what role, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, I wouldn't think of him as that. Yeah, I get what right. you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, um, Hugh Jackman started mm -hmm. off in started off in musical theatre, so I got no problem with him being on Broadway. You know, it, it is different, and it is there is definitely I mentioned I'm not being snobbish, but I am. 
I know I am, you know, and I am a huge snob about comics and I am a huge snob. I think there's a borderline though, between snobbish and knowing what you like and what you enjoy. Cause like you can, you can concede that like, okay, everyone has their own opinion. Like somebody might like it, but you're going to still say this comic was shit. You can say it's five stars, but it's shit. (laughs) And I often do. Um, my, my favorite comic book of all time um is a one-off graphic novel it was published as four issues four chapters uh called stray toasters and uh, (laughs) that's such a good name (laughs) the the guy that wrote it is a phenomenal phenomenal and leading comic book artist and he's written a few shorts here and there but he'd never written anything of any real substance so Straight Toasters, he wrote and illustrated, all fully painted. It's beautiful. My, probably my favorite comic book artist. Um, he then checked himself into a mental asylum <laughs> after, after he, he finished writing it. And it's, it's, it's very divisive, this book, because it's, it's, um, it's about child abuse. It's about mental health. And, but it's also like reads like a, a, a Raymond Chandler detective fiction novel but the main, one of the main narrators is a demon from hell. And it's just like really weird and messed up and crazy. And people hate it or love it. And, and I, I absolutely love it. I, I, it's, it's genius. It sent the man that wrote it mad, but that's fine. <laughs> Sometimes you have to go mad in order to find, right. you know, perfection. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I, don't, I don't like... I don't like people coming into an, a, a field that I'm very precious about um, and not really having the wherewithal or maybe talent to understand it's not just written words and pictures. It's, it's literally about the symbiosis and the, the combination of words and pictures and what isn't said and what is missing visually um you know there's there's many a time i've read about creators that work together often and have worked together for like many many years it gets to the point where the writer will write a very very basic script sending it off to the artist the artist will send the artwork back and then the writer will will, will dive deeper or yeah bring more bring more flair to it and yeah oh that's so cool um you're very knowledgeable obviously of comics and i have known it like you wear it on your sleeve a lot of the times do you let somebody else bring it up before you dive into it do you just talk about it openly it's like a reveal thing like is it something that should be secret how do you reveal this out like michael come on man you got, you got me well i know you i was know? debating if i should even ask this question to you but you already know the answer to this question i am painfully uh up front and i am painfully honest with people <laughs> um sometimes to the good sometimes to the bad um but no i it's a passion and um i'm going to talk about it freely and i'm going to try and educate people because there is still a wide um misunder wild and wide misunderstanding of the nature of comic books and what they're capable of and why they 
like I said, Ruby's really into comics. My daughter, she's 13. Owen at 17, my son, not so much. But I would, I would think that if you asked both of them whether they are glad that they were exposed to comic books growing up, they would say absolutely. Because it, it does, as a medium, it opens up the imagination in a very specific way and a very expansive way. It, 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 it definitely allows kids and then adults <laughs> to, to think about things in a different perspective and to think about things, um, I'm gonna get all like, wow, man. <laughs> I think comics. I think comics really helped me to nurture an open mind as well, because a lot of the writers that work within the industry are the kind of people that want to deal with difficult subjects and want to deal with stuff that we shouldn't talk about. Um, you know, um, if you if you think about an obvious example, Crazy Jane, like it's it's all about child abuse and mental health and 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 that's not something that would be dealt in the fashion it is on tv 10 years ago but comics were talk but comics and grant morrison were talking about it 30 years ago so i'm i'm giving comics to to ruby now that like really helping her discover herself um you know she's she's got a lot of friends who are trans or gender fluid and and you know and, you know, I have to constantly be like, what, what's, what's your best friend's name now? Yeah, <laughs> and, the right and, pronouns, yeah. Yeah, okay. and, 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 and stuff that as a 50-year-old man is very, is, it, it's somewhat alien to me, and it's very much a part of my kids' generation. And they're educating me, and I'm, I'm getting suggestions from Ruby now about comics I should read. And oh, maybe, I, I bet and, that makes you so excited. Oh, it's, lo it's lovely. <laughs> and, and, you know, to, to have that, because they're away from me, you know, they live in another state and, and but to have that, that, that commonality and that, that, um, that bridge and that understanding of why, you know, she's going to recommend something. There's Guinness. Oh Is yeah, it? he's back there. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, she's not going to recommend something to me if she doesn't think it's, going to open my mind to something that that she thinks I, and vice versa you know um and and i don't think i don't think that would be as poignant if it weren't comics if it was like music we share music we share films you know but the comics is like this it's like it's our thing yeah it's ours it's it's special you know so that that that's probably me being the most sort of soppy about my love for comics <laughs> is that, is that yeah. I'm able to like pass it on down. But yeah, to your point of whether it's like a secret or whether I bring it up, I bring it up straight away. Just like I bring up many other things that are probably not what people want to talk about. <laughs> do you think, do you think because you are, you're so open with it, right? You're so upfront about it. Huh? Is it necessarily like either romantically or, or platonically, is it necessarily a, uh, like a diss or a, a a red flag if someone maybe doesn't share the passion or what makes it a red flag there's an element of ignorance and stigma oh they're just for kids if i hear that i'm not interested in that person if 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 somebody says oh i thought they were just for kids then you're coming at me with a different angle and you're open to being informed 
and 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 have an open mind to something that you know probably nothing about. And I think the Marvel movies have helped and hindered that somewhat. I think they've helped open minds that were already had the door ajar. Well, to to think that like big themes and and adult themes and emotive themes can be dealt with. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm one of them, right? Like I didn't truly get into comics until the movies started coming out because that was my, that's how it connected with me. Right. So then, then I dive in and I, and I read these comments. I'm like, Oh, this is literally the story that I just watched. Right. (laughs) Right. But you know, so the, the movies have shown people that these, these stupid kids medium, um, can actually, I mean, Buffy did it years ago as well. Yeah, true. You know, you know about me and Buffy. Um, <laughs> another thing I'll pontificate about. But yeah, um, it, it, it's opened the door for those people who have the door ajar in their mind. And But to your point like about friendships and romance, yes, it would definitely be a red flag um, if somebody was like, oh, they're just for kids. Like, and dismissive. Jen, Jen was not, she was very open-minded to them. Jen, my wife, mm. <laughs> for those that don't know who Jen is, um, was very, was very open-minded to them and has now, like she, she collects series that I don't. And, and it's interesting that, that I can pretty much now good guesstimate of what, what Jen's going to enjoy and what she's not. And um, yeah, it, it, it's definitely a red flag if someone's just dismissive. I mean, you have to kind of pick and choose those things. You know, if somebody's dismissive of football, which I'm hugely passionate about, and Arsenal, which I'm hugely, then then I get it. it. That's not something that is like, but to be dismissive of an entire art form, you're just an ignorant pig. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, I got my last question, um, and then we're gonna get into some trivia. My last question. Um, so you die. Um, I'm so sorry. And after you die, because we're so close, I get asked to go through all your personal belongings. <laughs> <laughs> um, while I'm going through your personal belongings, I find a secret uh, compartment in this room that you're in. Right. <laughs> um, and in that secret compartment, there's a box and there's a note. And on the note, it says, whatever is in this box represents my obsession. What's in the box? Oh, now, I, I, to be, to be, it doesn't have to be a physical thing. It can be conceptual, right. whatever you want it to be. Mm-hmm. There's a few things in the box. There's Tintin and the Black Island. I have a list going here of things you need to send me pictures of. So that's good, <laughs> just to let you know. <laughs> Tintin and the Black Island. Mm-hmm. Um, there is V for Vendetta. Because it speaks to me far more as a child of Thatcher's Britain than Watchmen ever did. V for Vendetta is, a ba- is the greatest thing Alan Moore ever wrote. It, 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 it speaks to me um, on a level that nothing else he's done ever did because it, it talks about the essentially rise of fascism that was um, my early childhood under Margaret Thatcher. Um, so that would be in there. Um, and straight toasters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I love um, that. Yeah. And, and, then, and then probably um, 
I don't know. It's interesting. It's a very, a very good question. I like that a lot. Um, because there's things, I, I have an entire shelf that is signed books. Um, like I have a signed Neil Gaiman, his first ever comic, and I have uh, Frank Miller stuff signed and, and, and Grant Morrison stuff signed, and they're all very precious. But to your question, they mean, they mean, they mean nothing. They, 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 the, the story that they signed maybe means something, but that signature doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and when I had to think about what books would be in the box, um, oh, Bone would be in there too. Bone? Who's that one by? Bone by Jeff Smith, which he self published. It looks like, do you know the cartoon strip from the newspapers Pogo? No. It's from like the, back in the day. It's very, it's very stylized, almost like Mickey Mouse kind okay. of stylized. Um, it's a very cartoony. Okay. Um, and the artwork is all very much like that. But it is, so this guy self-published it himself in black and white. He self-published it himself. Um, <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. I could cut around it, man. But now <laughs> um, in, in, in black and white. And um, it's aimed at like young readership, essentially. Um, but it deals with stuff that is honestly quite dark and about dreams and nightmares. And it's got parallels with the Sandman, actually. Um, so he self-published it in black and white over many years. And then when it was complete, Scholastic decided that they wanted to start a graphic novel line. And they approached Jeff Smith and... Um, it's actually one of the most amazing uh, corporate deals I've, I've ever, ever heard of. They said, we would like to publish Bone. We would like to publish it in color, which he'd never done because it was more expensive, obviously. And, uh, you know, like offered him a substantial amount of money for the rights to it. And he said no. So they came back to him and said, can we just publish it and you keep it and... And, and like have all the money and and like still still have ownership of your property like yeah that's more like it <laughs> i mean good on for scholastic but <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's scholastic's is scholastic's best-selling graphic novel series um and uh yeah all right well the box is full you got four things in there there you go <laughs> well thank you so much for this chat i really learned about your passion but guess what we're not done it's Nerdy knowledge time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I have, since one of my nerdy obsessions uh, uh, is interesting facts, um, I did some research specifically over the four uh, authors that you gave me um, and their work. Um, and so I'm going to ask you these questions. And, you know, it's not about points here. It's mm. not. It's, it's and feel prizes. Exactly. <laughs> Why win, Michael? You win the satisfaction of doing this podcast. <laughs> um, so, first question: Who is the major antagonist in the Invisibles? King Mob. King Mob. Okay, so I found that name, but I also found Archons of the Outer Church, alien gods who enslaved most of humanity. 
Oh, you said antagonist. Yes, I did say antagonist. Well, King King Mob is the leader of the Invisibles. Okay. Um, And, um, oh, here's some crazy shit. King Mob looks exactly like Grant Morrison. Like a self-pub, self-pub. Essentially. And King Mob, in the course of the thousand pages or whatever it is of the book, there's a lot of occultist stuff goes on and like black magic and essentially the invisibles are trying to stop. Um, can't remember the name, the church of whatever, like enslaving, enslaving Archon, archons of the outer church. Yeah. Um, enslaving the human race. And they have been doing so for forever, you know, and, and like people historically were part of the invisibles, like Percy by Shelley was an invisible and the Marquis de Sade was an invisible. But King Mob is the leader currently, and he's literally Grant Morrison personified. And he goes through all this shit in the book, and it happened to Grant Morrison. What he wrote manifested. Like he got this really weird skin infection, and like that is something that he wrote into the Invisibles. And it's like, yeah, that's nuts. (laughs) (laughs) What supernatural device do the Invisibles get? From the Harlequinade? Oh my god. No. The Hand yeah, of Glory. Right. I know. I, I can talk about things, but remembering like specific details <laughs> and quotes, you got me. No, it's all right. Hand of Glory is what it's... The Hand of Glory, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was almost the name of Doom Patrol? Good one. I have no idea. Legion of Strange. Okay, that would make sense. I mean, the original comic was like 40s, 50s, I think. Yeah. Legion of Strange. Winning the Fantasy Award for Best Short Story, what comic ah. was the <laughs> first to win a literary, a literary <laughs> award? Mid- Midsummer Night's Dream, Sandman Listen. issue. I don't have that number, so you're fine. Um, so you're- I, I can, I can, yeah. uh, one. I can't remember the exact award, but it was like the best short story of the year. Um, it hasn't happened since because the uh, people who declare who wins this award were uh, of the opinion that a comic book should not win such an award. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and Neil Gaiman has basically been like, yep, well, fuck you. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and it, and it's, it's literally on every. Any trade paperback of the Sandman, it's it's on there. But oh yeah, the first and only winner of said award. Um, oh, what is unique about how the Invisibles Volume Three is read? Twelve through one. Yes, correct. Yeah, so, yeah, it's the final volume of the of the piece, and um, it was intended as like a countdown to zero because the, the Invisibles was published right up to like the millennium. Grant Grant Morrison wanted to make it a point of like counting down to whatever was coming. (laughs) Whatever, whatever we thought was going to (laughs) happen. Which character was recruited by British intelligence to form the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Oh my God. I got to throw some difficult ones in. Uh, You know, I haven't read the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen in years. Take a stab. It's all, I know it's all literary characters. I can't remember, man. Mina Murray. Mina Murray. Yep. She's the one that forms them. 
Um, ooh, what famous novel is the setting of volume two for League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Oh my God. <laughs> Leagues Under the Sea? War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. Yeah. Oh <laughs> but I mean, isn't one of them is probably Leagues Under the Sea then too, because don't they talk? Is it Nemo? Yeah, he's in it. Yeah. yeah. That's why I guess I'll be, I'll be straight with you. Um, probably. So Alan Moore, much like Frank Miller, disappeared up his own ass. And, and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was probably right about the time when it started to happen. Beautiful. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, um, one of my less um, fun series that you like. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you're going to get this question then. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the main character in the Nemo trilogy? <laughs> um, uh, oh. um, no. Uh, Nemo's daughter, Janie Dakar. Lovely. <laughs> what horror director? Wrote oh. the foreword to Doll's House. Or a director. See, I don't have the trades. I have like the big fancy hardcore. Uh, um, I'm Raimi? Uh, Clive Barker. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, why? Um, him and Gaiman are, are good buddies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in 1602. Oh, geez. Which ruler did Stephen Strains essentially work for? I mean, context clues. Come on. <laughs> and you've been in British history. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> and and, and to, more to the point, I think you know how much uh, I love the royal family. <laughs> yeah, I do. I truly. And my favorite people. Well, no problem with them spending 80 million, 80 million on a wedding. Well, uh... <laughs> Well, this one was the first Elizabeth. Is yeah, here Stephen Strait director? First. Yep. first, yes. Um, uh, Virginia Dare is known in history as who? No. <laughs> first child born to the Roanoke colony. Oh, wow. This one, however. I like this one. Flint Marco and Wesley Dobbs are also known as what? The Salmon. Correct. Flint Marco is the Marvel Sandman who could control sand, and Wesley was the DC Sandman who had a gun that dispensed sleeping gas, who also is mentioned in Nick Gaiman's The Sandman. Yeah, and that's, that's, why, that's why in order to use the title The Sandman, he had to give um, copyright up, essentially. I don't know. I mean, I do know. You know, if Gaiman was, if Gaiman was doing Sandman now, he could probably just call it Morpheus and, yeah. and, and it would fly off the shelves. Well, that was nerdy knowledge. I well, failed miserably. <laughs> not that bad, but we're not done yet. The next section is talk nerdy talk. to me. Nerdy talk, nerdy talk, nerdy to me. This, this section, these are just short answers. I'm going to ask you for like your favorites, where to yep. start, random facts, so on and so forth. Yep. All right. Um, Tell me your top three protagonist storylines. You mean in... Where, where like it's essentially the story of a character like yeah 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 the hero's the hero's story of the character the hero's story um the invisibles luther arkwright which has not been mentioned at all a british comic from 
like the 80s that is about a, a world in which there are parallel universes and there's like one of you on every parallel but there's only one luther arkwright and he can travel between those parallels oh that's cool and on the main parallel that um luther inhabits uh it's like cyber not cyber like like steampunk almost and queen victoria is still in power but there's like airships and yeah it's, it's awesome so yeah, Invisibles, Luther Arkwright, and then, gosh, you know what? Yeah, Sweet Tooth. Sweet Tooth. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, this is the Desert Island question. It's a little bit different for you. All right. If you could live in one comic book world, what <laughs> comic book world would you live in? Ooh, um... Sex criminals. <laughs> you haven't mentioned that one yet either. <laughs> What's that one about? <laughs> Sex criminals is by a guy called Matt Fraction, who very nearly made it onto my list of four. Um, Sex criminals is about this couple who discover that when they have sex, the world freezes. Like like time, not like cold, but like time. Um, okay, the world comes to a halt, so they start robbing banks after they have sex. That's amazing. <laughs> it's fucking it's fucking brilliant. It's so funny. It's so funny. That's yeah. awesome. Um all right, top event. You've mentioned a couple of these so far as we've been talking, but what do you think is the top event that is the epitome of your love for comics? Like what comic is the top event or what storyline is that top event? And outside in like twofold, I think the main event for me was walking back into a comic shop at the age of like 12, 13, when I hadn't for many years to discover that things were very different. And issue five of Animal Man by Grant Morrison that we talked about earlier, the, the, the Coyote Gospel, like that's, yeah. probably, that's probably the only comic book thinking about it now that I know the title of off the top of my head. Like, because I talk about it so often, it is the perfect 24-page single-issue comic book ever, in my opinion. It, it does so much with what a comic can do in 24 pages. So yeah, um, discovering, discovering the uh, mad genius that is Grant Morrison um, through, Animal, through Animal Man number five was... was transformative i was like oh shit <laughs> i yeah. love that i really want to dig into grant morrison more after this conversation i'm getting into yeah. all right where should someone start if they want to get into comics in general i know we've talked a lot about like your likes and dislikes but what do you think is a good overall a this is a, re a really good in and i'm glad i talked about it and it's in my box is bone mm. um it's yeah because it presents as a cartoon it's very um, child-friendly in that respect. Much like, you, you, you know I have a huge passion for His Dark Materials by Philip Pullman. Mm -hmm. Much like that series where book one, Northern Lights, um, sorry, Golden Compass, um, is very much a children's book. The, okay. first, the first book is very much a children's book in His Dark Materials trilogy. The second book is 
adolescence and discovering oneself and growing. And by the time you get to the third book, and have you read it or seen it? I, I have it in audiobook, but I haven't gotten fully through it yet. Yeah. By the time you get to the third book, you're like, oh, fuck, this is definitely not a children's stories anymore. Yeah, I just finished the, the first one I have finished in the audio. Yeah. And um, Bone is, is much the same. Um, I, I started, I gave Bone to both Owen and Ruby when they were like 11. Um, and there's seven books. It's about, it's about 1,500 pages long total. And you grow with them, so I think it's a I very, like good, it's a very good uh, feeder into into comics um, because it looks it looks very much like what people think comics are. Yeah, but then thematically, it it's blows, not. It blows that out of the water, and I I think that would be a very good way to to sort of illustrate to people it's not what you thought it was. Yeah, you know? yeah, love that. You've shared this with us a lot. Um, what is your favorite random fact about comics <laughs> you've given us so many random facts so <laughs> choose what you want <laughs> favorite random fact about comics Ooh. watchman was first of all dc had just bought the rights to all of the characters by a company called charlton comics so blue beetle um, Captain Atom, um, Booster Gold, all of these characters. And Alan Moore had a great love for these old characters and pitched Watchmen to them using those characters. So Captain Atom and uh, Blue Beetle. And when they got the pitch, DC chickened out. They were like, this is far too dark. So Captain Atom became Dr. Manhattan. And and Blue Beetle became um, the owl night night not a night owl yeah night owl right that was called I can't remember that but he basically he basically created his own characters from those tropes that he was going to use and therefore took it to DC and was promised him and Dave Gibbons the artist were promised that the copyright would return to them once Watchmen went out of print and okay. that was not and that was not an unusual thing back in the okay. day okay okay. Because comics back then were, did, go, did go out of print. Yeah. yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. it came out monthly as, as single issues. And then a trade, a collection that you buy at Barnes & Noble now would come out um, that was also sold directly in comic shops rather than in bookstores. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you'd find them. But that was pretty much it. You'd get the, the original issues and then a trade, which was probably never reprinted. And that was always had been the case so alan moore and, D and dave gibbons signed off on the deal watchman is the first comic that dc have never allowed to go out oh those bastards <laughs> and, that, and that's why that's why alan moore wants nothing to do with oh it. yeah that makes sense yeah i would be i'd be pissed <laughs> like mm -hmm. you guys played me public publicly absolutely publicly played me <laughs> where is the best place to find comics now i know you love the store because of that aspect as well, but also online. Um, sure, your local comic book shop. Um, there is literally a uh, an online comic book comic shop locator .com, I think it's called, and it will tell you where your local shop is. Um, it is still very much a fringe um, art form and specialized in that respect. So, if you really, really want to dive in, local comic book shop. 
However, I know that's daunting. Um, it is daunting because there's this kind there's of a, like... There's a, there's a stereotype, yeah, or right. like an and expectation, you're also, yeah. You're also walking into a world that you don't know much about. Yeah. So um, Comixology is, is really good. That's online stuff. Um, there's some free stuff on there, but you do have to pay a subscription if you want to read a lot of the stuff. It's much like, you know, they give you the little bit and then reel you in. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Comixology is good. Um, Substack. I've actually just started uh, really investing in comic books. Um, Grant Morrison, Jeff Lemire, uh, Jonathan Hickman, and a couple of others whose name escaped me now have Substacks on um, there that you can subscribe to. I think it's like somewhere between like six and ten bucks a month, and they they publish stuff that's directly oh. on. Yeah, only available on there. Like Jeff Lemire's one is. So it's like Patreon, but for comics in a yeah. way, right? That's so cool. Okay. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff Lemire's one is, is really good. He's doing a story called Fish Flies. I think he drops like somewhere between like eight and 10 pages a week of that. So cool. Um, so that's really good. But again, that might be a little bit of a commitment. Honestly, for, for noobs, the best place is, um, well, I mean, it changes. It depends on which store. When I worked at Barnes & Noble in Madison, um and in chicago briefly i made a point of making sure the graphic novel section was top notch and here in fort collins which is a university town um the Barnes and noble here is incredible across the board like mm. not just graphic novels but yeah that that's always a good a good in um my 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 real as i said to people back in the shop back in the day and still do don't don't be naive and approach it with, well, I like the Marvel movies, so I'm going to start. I know it's what a lot of people do. I'm going to start there. But, like, just do just do a quick. You need quick. to go. Yeah, but you also, I think, need to go in with that open mind, right? Like, even though the Marvel movies, you have to realize that that is them. Yes, those comics are good, but yeah. you need to be able to know that the depth of where that's come from. Right. Yeah. And honestly, um, if you read something and you like the writer, see what else they've done. If you read something and you you like the comic as a whole, look at who published it. Dark Horse Comics, Image. These are both really good independent publishers. It's not as daunting as you think, and that's why I do always come back to like going to your local comic shop. Um, the, the the sort of nerd walls have come down a bit. Yeah, um, it's not as exclusive. So next one, if I like blank. Then I will like comics. If you like dark, thought-provoking, honest, revelatory fiction, if you like fringe art, for want of a better term, and if you like kink. Ah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Um, the, Invisible, the Invisibles is very, very, very uh, sex-positive and gender issues. Um, it's interesting, Grant Morrison in a recent interview said he's now they, them. Um, and that when he was writing uh, the character of King Mob, which as I've said, is essentially him, that wasn't, that wasn't a thing. Yeah. Like, and he didn't, he didn't realize, he's like, I think he's like 60, Grant Morrison. Um, and he's like, I, I now look back on it and realize that I was talking about gender identity with King Mob. But gender identity was like, you know, 
It wasn't I, like I, there wasn't like a subject called like gender identity, right? It was just a right, feeling that somebody had. Right. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah. There weren't labels for mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the notion of like you know, Christ, I grew up. I grew up in a time when it was like a tranny, and mm-hmm. and, and you know, the, the, the notion of like gender fluidity was it was out there, but we didn't know how to talk about it. Yeah. And it's interesting that Grant Morrison has said that's what I was doing. That's what I was talking about. That's what I was trying to come to terms with. So yeah. Huh, that's awesome. Um, last part of Talk Nerdy to me. If you know, you know. I want you to say something to other comic-obsessed individuals that only they would know. Kimota. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time, Dylan. Which is, which is, which is spelt K-I-M-O-T-A exclamation point. Kimota. I love it. Uh, well, thank you. This was lovely. Uh, this uh, You have so much knowledge in you and your passion is beautiful for this. I truly enjoyed our conversation. Well, I, thank you. I mean, same goes. The fact that you're doing this speaks volumes about you and <laughs> our lovely human being you are. So, I genuinely appreciate you uh, asking me to do this. I was very, um, I was shitting bricks to put <laughs> 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 you should. You did so well. Uh, it's lovely to see your face. I miss it's you. Lovely to see you. Don't don't get off Zoom yet. Um, I'm just going to end the recording. I have one more thing for you to do, but we will say bye to everyone. Thank you for everyone for listening and bye everyone for again. putting up with me. <laughs> bye. Avengers Yeah.